This is Line Dance Podcast. I'm Christopher Gonzalez. Hello and welcome to Line Dance Podcast. What is your name? Ryan Hunt. How do you spell that? R-Y-A-N-H-U-N-T. H. Hmm. I'm guessing you're not from this area. No, not from the States at all. From near Birmingham in the Midlands uh, in England. Oh. UK. What brings you all the way out to this event in Portland? Um, we've been over for, for two weeks. We've done two American events back-to-back. So we've been to Fun in the Sun mm-hmm. in Florida, our first time there, Jennifer Cameron's event, and then obviously here at the Northwest Lightlands Blast, mm-hmm. um, which has been a blast. <laughs> what would you say is your primary role in the line dance community? Uh, well, at home I'm an instructor on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. I've got a... Um, very dedicated, enthusiastic set of dancers that travel mm. a long way to come for the sort of level that we work at. So we're working at predominantly intermediate, advanced, mm. and I've been lucky to have those dancers come to me for a very long time. Uh, they're there every week, um, so I also do social events for those as well and workshops for them, and then also a DJ role at some events uh, in England. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, for example, doing the I did the graveyard shift at Strictly in January, which is one of the big events. And I also do some events with Matt Sampson, then on the South Coast in England. So a mixture of instructing and DJing. Hmm. Well, you know, I've asked a lot of uh, beginner instructors how they bring students into their classes and... uh, interest them in line dance. I have had fewer intermediate instructors. I'm wondering, how do you keep them so that they don't just say, oh, well, line dance was fun, but that's it, you know, six months later. How do you retain students long enough to keep them interested all the way up to intermediate advanced? Yeah, in my case, I inherited a a set of intermediate advanced dancers. There's nobody which I've taken on that journey from absolute beginner through. Mm. So I only ever started the intermediate advanced class and kind of attracted the dancers that wanted something a bit more challenging than what they've been given before. Mm. Um, it's probably a, it's a fair criticism of line dance is that it's very difficult to access and get into. So people often start, for example, through relatives or a friend. It's very rare that somebody off their own back sort of gets up and, and goes along to a club somewhere and starts. So that the whole beginner challenge is is very tricky. People at home try very conventional means of advertising. They try newspapers and posters in working men's clubs and social clubs and whatever. And and that retention is such a small percent. I mean, if you were to put it down, maybe 5%, I would guess, of people that start a beginner class actually go on and complete that journey. There's this culture at home as well of people locking themselves into beginner. So there's people who've gone to a beginner class and they're still in the same beginner class 10 years after. And there's various reasons for that. They may be fairly immobile for whatever reason and they, they kind of feel as though they've uh, met their standards. They may go along for different reasons. They may, may not want to learn several routines a week and feel under pressure and have to go home and look at step sheets and watch videos. They're happy just doing a, a set of simple step combinations which they just rotate around the different dances. So I haven't really got any advice for attracting and retaining beginner dancers because it's not something I've done myself. Mm. Um, all I can do is offer what the intermediate dancers want and keep them coming back. So I've got a set of very hungry dancers who like uh, to learn. If they see a video on Facebook they expect, and, and it's a good dance, they will expect me to pick it up within a week or two weeks and they'll be excited about that. So my way of retaining the dancers is about being on the ball, uh, being quick with the dancers, um, and keep it on top of what they might see it from events all around the, the country. So they will be watching the videos that I've posted from this weekend and they'll be expecting me to do them when I get back. Mm. And obviously if I was to stop doing that, if I was to 
slow down or not give them those higher dances, then I, would, I could potentially risk losing them because they would have no reason to travel to me all that distance. I have some dancers that travel up to 90 minutes just for a three-hour class each way. Um, so uh, it's just about giving them that higher level of demand. It's a non-stop class, three hours, um, and they, they love it after every class. They're always complimentary and buzzing, and um, that's my, my own recipe. Um, but for beginners, it's it, uh, it would be kind of thinking about um, the venue, fitting around people's working weeks. I think smaller classes for lower level works. I think an hour works for people's attention and to fit around their other commitments, married life, children, etc. Um, but obviously, with my level, I can get away with doing a three hour class, uh, and they they're there for the start, you know, start to finish, and love every minute of it. Mm. Yeah, the qualifications seem very um, different for what makes, say, like a good or interesting beginner dance. Like you want it to be a quicker teach, probably mm. slower beats per minute, uh, maybe symmetrical, so it's easy to to follow. Maybe chunks, uh, but with intermediate advanced, you you wouldn't necessarily be able to say, well, just make everything more complicated, take away the symmetry, do everything faster. Mm. What makes a, a a good or a satisfying intermediate dance? Uh, and who, what, maybe what choreographers do you trust to put out intermediate advanced dances that your students will like and that you will enjoy dancing? For me, I'm looking for a dance which you cannot take away from the track it was written to and dance to another track. If you've got the ability to take away without any uh, detracting from the value and satisfaction of the dance from the, compose, uh, the choreographed track, and then putting it to another track and it works as well, then maybe that dance was never really that closely choreographed to the lyrical or the, or, or the beats of that particular track. Uh, so when you take, you've asked me the question about the choreographers, if you take Joey, for example, or Niels, for example, they will write dances, and Fred Whitehouse of other choreographers, they will write so closely to the track, picking up all the nuances of the track and the crescendos of the track, that it's inseparable from the track. And that's what makes it satisfying. So you're waiting for that tag or that part B or that, uh, that, that critical restart to kick in. Um, there's, a, there's probably when you watch a dance and you don't feel as though there's a connection with the music um, and you could dance it ten times in a row to any other track. I mean, it works for classics. You've got classics like Lamtar and Rumba and Black Coffee and that kind of thing, which will just uh, carry on to various tracks, which is useful for a DJ as well. Um, but what we're looking for is that marriage between the, the steps and the music. And, and I think that's what gives you that feel good, that, that X factor, that really sort of that pick up, that goosebump moment. Um, and then those are the dances then which I feel keep on and there's a legacy for those dances that are sustained because people have that really pleasurable feeling from them. Uh, they like the music, they like the dance, and they like the fact that the dance then goes to the music. And that's when there's a common criticism then where people will say, I feel the track is wasted. Sometimes people might say if they don't like the dance, personal opinion. And that is often because they don't feel as though it may have picked up on certain opportunities in that track to really express yourself and do something unique. So the music, the way the music's written is, is the, the artists really are the best friend of the choreographers because by writing unique tracks, they're giving the opportunities to the choreographers to then take those up and follow them up and do a, a step pattern that mirrors that change of rhythm. We often talk about in intermediate advanced dances, the, in, the choreographer will say, I can't count this, there's no counts, just listen to the music. Mm. And then you get it, the music comes on, and it's like, yeah, there's no real rhythm, 
you know it's not an and or an ah it's somewhere in the middle mm-hmm. um, and at home I often get the real positive vibes from the class when those two just go hand in hand so that's what I'm looking for uh, looking for is it's something that you're not going to get tired of after a few a few weeks mm-hmm. um, uh, the second point I would say is often around um, if, if there is repetition is uh, often there can be a long track and if it's choreographed too small so for 32 count dance for example it's done to a long track mm-hmm. and you end up doing 15 16 rotations uninterrupted that can often be a little bit mind numbing once you've got it after a few months so it's something to keep you thinking um, we often we often get criticised that uh, some of the intermediate advanced dancers people say smile or, or you look so serious but that's also a good thing because you're using your brain it's a mental exercise as well as physical exercise and uh, sometimes a look at concentration is not a bad thing either um, so you want to be tested that's what we're coming for um, so those couple of factors blend that all together so uh, a test in dance good marriage with the music not too much repetition and I think you'll have a hit so. hmm. Is there any choreographer or set of choreographers that you find have a, an ear for interesting tracks where their whole catalogue seems to be uh, very nuanced? Yeah, so um, it may sound a little cliche, but I would, you would say, for example, Scott Blevins, mm-hmm. who clearly invests a lot of time in researching music, researching artists that you would not otherwise have the pleasure of hearing. Um, and that is a real wow factor when you get this track and it's like y- your friends and your family and your non- the non-dancing community around you at home have never heard this track and you're like, wow, we're dancing to this, this song. And sometimes six months or nine months down the line it then comes on the radio and you're like, yeah, just quietly in your head. We had that first, you know, we've, we've had the pleasure of that for a while. So I think Scott um, does the whole industry a great service in, in getting some of these really unique, often West Coast tracks um, and he pulls those in. Um, it's not lazy by any stretch of the imagination just to use, um, for example, the top ten or, or chart songs. Um, but um, and, and there's good songs there. That's why they're in the charts. That's why they're popular. But it's even better when they they just manage to pull out a track that's um, unusual, a new artist. And then other choreographers then will go and look at that artist, and maybe that becomes a popular artist that we do three or four dances to. Um, James Morrison, I've noticed, uh, yeah. ha- has kind of had that happen over time with yes. uh, Simon and Rachel doing Man in the Mirror, Hurts Like a Cha-Cha is yeah. another of his, Time to Surrender, I believe is him yeah. as well. Yeah, and Neville and Julie have used him for a couple of dances as well, hmm. um, going back maybe to around 2010, 2011. I mean, for those sort of artists, it's all about when they hit that new album, and you just know when an artist put out a new album there's going to be four or five dances mm-hmm. and, uh, and that, that is frustrating because there's that competition and you end up with two or three dances sometimes um, but when that album comes out when you know Shakira does an album for example or when Pitbull does an album that kind of thing Jennifer Lopez is another example Megan Trainer. exactly um, you just know you're just waiting for three or four dances and even if you get a couple of stars if you get a waltz off the album a nightclub off the album and, and a regular upbeat pop dance off the album then that's a good mixture. I remember, yeah, uh, last year, Ed Sheeran's album, it's yeah. like, boom, you know, one, one after yeah. another on, on your Facebook feed, everyone's got something to, you know, perfect or dive right in, and yeah. Shape of You had already been out as a single, yeah. and uh, you, you just kind of watch the, the track list fill in with dances. Yeah. <laughs> it, you kind of reach that uh, tipping point when it's about which tracks on the album haven't been written to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also good because you're hearing those songs all the time around you. Um, and if you're somebody that needs to practice to retain, you need to watch YouTube. Even just hearing that track when you go to the, the shopping mall or when you're sat in the car driving to work with the radio is helpful. 
you know you might be thinking about the steps in your head and that kind of thing so that often helps dancers as well um, so that probably is the the reverse the the, the 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 downside of using more unusual tracks is that you're only exposed to those tracks then when you get into the dance hall and you'll, you'll go the rest of the week potentially if you've not got if you can't get the track on spotify let's say if it's a particular edit and that's often a criticism and of course then you'll go to the event and the chance of the dj having that track then or the correct version of the track which fits the phrasing of the of the dance becomes less likely and that obviously causes difficulties on the floor. Mm. Now when uh, when you DJ, do you have a sort of like a rise and fall or any kind of format that you follow? Do you just do street requests? I've noticed what's, there's a contrast between um, DJs, particularly between um, home in the UK and, and, and some of the um, more popular or, or um, well-featured DJs here, is at home we would tend to do a, a mixture, so we would jump between choreographers and styles new and old. Um, here, um, so for example, um, Louis, for example, would look and observe which choreographer's in the room, and if there's one choreographer in the room, so if Rebecca Lee's in the room or if Scott's in the room, he may then go on a, a long list of that choreographer just to utilise the fact that they're there uh, and, and that choreographer can dance with the dancers in the room. Um, I think last week at Fitz it went up to seven or eight with Rebecca, wow. um, which obviously is great for people that love her dances. And she was the only choreographer in the room at the time. Um, but that's a little different to what we would do, what we would do at home. Um, at home we would go um, maybe you might have uh, two back to back waltzes or two back to back nightclubs, but then you straight onto something more upbeat. Um, and you're just looking around the room, conscious of you know who's been in the room. At many events in the room, we have um, table numbers on the request forms, which helps the DJ, so the DJ can see. Um, table seven are sitting down, somebody will say, and they've got a request sheet, table seven, and they can pick something off. So that obviously is a way of um, giving everyone a fair chance to get up as well. Hmm. And to what extent do you um, collaborate with other DJs to find out what's being played in your area, um, what, what new tracks are coming out that yeah. uh, nobody has a dance to? Do you, do you have like a DJ network or anything? So we all have our own website. So I've got a website of my dances taught, and I also upload every playlist onto that uh, w uh, website as well. Wow. And I know that's used by um, other like-minded instructors around. Um, people often post uh, on Facebook as well. Um, on a weekly basis what they've been teaching so that's useful um, so there's that uh, collaboration less so people are left to make their own opinions about what they want to teach uh, but clearly if you were to see that X amount of instructors had taught a dance it would bring it to your attention you may then prioritise it to look at and there's an increased chance that you would teach it um, but playlists as I say I always share mine um, and people are always commenting you know saying great night or I would have done this amount or that kind of thing um, so it's, I think it's also a useful resource because when we were here over the weekend, I was always getting my website up and getting my playlists up and we were picking out our requests from that, you know. So if we wanted to find something a little bit older, we just scroll down, you know, pick the year and see. Or the choreographer as well, you know, Joey's in the room, what Joey dances can we, can we ask for, etc. So that's useful. And what is that website and is there contact information on it? Yeah, it's just my name. So it's www.ryanhunt.co.uk. Um, and I say there's information about my classes, where they are, um, all the dances taught in sort of uh, descending order, um, and every playlist is on there. So my, my socials are very diverse in terms of what's asked for, so um, you'll see a whole range of classic dances through to the new dances. And we also use the social events, um, what, what you call open dance here. 
um, as a chance to recap anything that we want to practice as well. Mm. So next Saturday when I arrive back in England, I will have a, a social event for the local dancers. You mentioned uh, right before you said uh, black coffee earlier, something yeah. uh, rumba? Oh, lamtara rumba. I am so curious about the dances that are done in other areas that are common and floor filler and they you know, can song switch to anything that we've never heard of. Do you have others like that? Okay. Um, so go, just go with Lamtara Rumba, there's at least four or five tracks to that. Um, and that is always played at events at home. Um, so obviously Michelle Perrin's Smoky Places will get played to just about any track. So it's very versatile. Um, some, some like a, a, a two-step sort of upbeat country track, and some people like the original, which is sort of a smoother. Um, so other that we would rotate. So I just want to dance is another one. Mm. Um, so it goes to the original, or it also goes to an upbeat Gloria Estefan track, and it gives it a completely different feel. Mm. Um, so I'll be able to give you a list, um, a written list of ten to look at, and huh. it's always good fun. Often, like here, for example, Poetry in Motion, mm-hmm. we mix that up, Liberty X or the uh, um, Hotel California track. At home, we have additional tracks for that as well. Oh. So we always dance it to Eminem at home, so sing for the moment. Ah, I think yeah. I've heard uh, Louis play that once. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little long, but then Hotel California is as well. Mm. So you could fade it, but it just gives it a completely different feel. It's got more of a, a rap, sort of hip-hop feel yeah. to it then. Um, so, yeah. Hmm. And are there classics that you wish would get picked up by the United States? It is very odd. We've got classics at home which would get played all the time, particularly from US choreographers, which then makes it all the more strange that when we come over here, they're not played. So, for example, some of Scott's stuff mm. uh, is, is popular here, but not uh, other stuff that we do at home. So we do, for example, No Regrets would be mm. my all-time number one dance, which is a very old Scott dance. Uh, 32 counts straight through, no tags, no restarts. And both last weekend and this weekend, when we could sort of work the room and say, you know, can you remember No Regrets? It's kind of like unheard of. Hmm. Um, but when Scott comes to the UK, he would expect that to be played every night, prime time, full floor. Um, huh. So that's a little odd. And then there's also classics here, which we don't necessarily do at home. So I know things like um, is it Yes, You Won't and that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. A yeah. huge here. Definitely. Um, which is great. It's a good, very fun dance. Um, but they're not dances which necessarily would be picked up on the other side of the water. So, I mean, it's good, especially when we're travelling between the two, we get exposed and get the opportunity to do some different dances. Mm -hmm. And we have some choreographers at home, um, maybe older choreographers, which aren't known here, who we have a whole back catalogue of dances for. But maybe it was um, early on in the line dance scene, the days before, perhaps, there was this real fluid movement between. Mm -hmm. So we used to have choreographers, for example, we had a choreographer called June, the Lady in Black, who was a very, very talented choreographer. Did she? Oh, never mind. I was thinking uh, Black Ice, but that... Yeah, Black Ice. That was one of hers, yeah. But she's got a whole repertoire. So Mm. she's got Anybody Wanna, she's got Last Man Standing, and all these kind of dances, which are very clever. We we often say uh, at home, ahead of the time, they were... um, it, that level of interpretation of the music that's perhaps what Roy Hadisabroto is doing there with Fiona a very clever interpretation of the music and we, we, we're not going to stand a chance of getting them over here but we get them on a weekly basis at home um, but it would be useful at some point for those to swap over because um, there's so much um, enjoyment you could have here with those really fun dances often 32 count dances but really fun hmm. um, so that just perhaps was a little bit early on when it was back to paper sheets and waiting for Line Dancer magazine at home we used to wait for. And obviously now it's a little bit more fluid, so 
How long have you been dancing? You seem to have a familiar familiarity with the whole of line dance history. Yeah, so I've been dancing for about 20 years. Wow. Old you? So I'm 26 now. <laughs> so, I s- <laughs> so I started when I was around six years old. Okay, so I believe it. I've yeah. seen you dance. Yeah, yeah, so around the millennium. Wow. And I've not had... Often when you talk to people, so I'm travelling with people that... Uh, I've taken breaks for various reasons, you know, for working on the career or, you know, uh, education, studying, that kind of thing. But mine has been constantly uninterrupted um, for that 20 or so years. Um, and then you, you kind of reach a point then where you think moving forward, because you lose dancers as well. They, they get other interests. They have families. And you kind of think you've invested. This is, this is the hobby, the single thing that I have invested the most emotional and energy and that kind of investment in. Um, that you couldn't even imagine life without it now. Um, and obviously for me, um, the arithmetic would suggest that obviously for clearly a lot more of my life than not, I have been a dancer. So I don't really know or remember life without it, other than the ages of one to six, which obviously are a, a vague memory to me. But when I started, yeah, I started competing around 2000, 2001, when I was just in the pro- what was called the primary category at home. So I was a competition dancer early on at that age for a couple of years, and then I just very quickly realised that my interest was more about learning, exploring, and, and technique, and enjoying social rather than uh, the, the um, co- competitive side. So I just became a social dancer, and then an instructor at an early age of around 13, 14. Mm. So Were you teaching your peers or folks older than you? Uh, no, so m- at my class, as a, a very um, broad age range, so I've got people who are around 30 years old and I've got people who are in the 70s and they all enjoy the same level of, of, of dancing. So it's a very broad range mm. of, of ages. And when did you get into choreography? Because I know that you do have some of your own dances. Yeah, very, yeah, very intermittently um, I do write dances. So there was one played here uh, last night called Grit Your Teeth, mm-hmm. which was choreographed around March time for an event at home. And it was great to see that some of the dancers here had asked for it and uh, they were dancing it last night, which was good to see. Um, but I have other hobbies and interests at home as well, but um, less so than that. I obviously spend all of my line dance time on keeping on top of the music and the classes. Um, you often see a distinction between choreographers and instructors. Uh, you have to be very committed to, the, to be a choreographer. You know, If you're going to have the churn and the regular turnover of dances, you may then take a step back and not be able to learn so many other choreographers' dances uh, or, or have those classes. Or, of course, you would go full-time and you would give up whatever your alternative profession is. So, But at the minute, I'm just focusing on my instructor. Do you systematically go through to see which dances you haven't done in a while just to keep them fresh or does it just happen naturally that you remember pretty much everything for the last 20 years um for me i'm always listening to the tracks Mm -hmm. so when i'm at work i've always got my spotify playlist on um and whenever i listen to it i I never listen to track without doing the steps in my head Mm -hmm. so i'm always doing the steps in my head even subconsciously so i'll be doing my job but it's subconsciously you're doing the steps in your head Um, and I will listen to anything during the day uh, from 14 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever. But I'm very fortunate at home, so when I have uh, my social events, I get a very um, dedicated, enthusiastic core group of 20 or so who are, like me, wanting to do anything from 20 years ago to today. And we will mix up the oldies all the time. Um, so we do have regular practice as well. Um, and the playlist here, perhaps... Um, at, at the Northwest Line Dance Blast in the early hours as reflected a more British style of playlist. So a, a request-based playlist, a sort of an instant 
request-based playlist. So you would go up, and within a couple of tracks, you've got it. And that kind of then that that um, that reciprocity, that quick response, then encourages you to ask for more and, and think of more. Um, so we've been really well catered for here, um, and we've asked for a lot of dances and got to practice them. Some of those we hadn't done for a while. Um, people often say to me, "It's my age as well." Mm. Um, obviously, I don't know if that's true, but people often say you can remember them because you're young. But um, sometimes it's it's just it's about will as much as ability. Um, and if you genuinely and really want to remember them, and you go through them and you listen to the tracks, then that will help you do it. Um, and some people are just good at fluffing the dances as well. You wouldn't know. Mm. Um, so. I say if you if you if you've got it seventy five percent, just get up and have a go and see if after a couple of walls you've got it. Because if you sit down, then it, you'll go from seventy five to fifty percent, and then the next time you don't stand a chance. So hmm. just get up and have a go. Hmm. Good advice. Um, now, as somebody who hasn't been to the UK yet, if one wanted to have the full, most thorough UK line dance experience possible over the course of say like a two month tour, just you know starting let's say north or, or south and doing like a clockwise rotation or a spiral, whatever shape you'd need to take, um, where would one need to go and what events I and mean, what time of year uh, should one hit to be sure that you really got a sense of what UK line dance is like? Okay, so I'll, go, I'll start from um, the more traditional mainstream end and then I'll work through to the higher, um, more what you might call progressive or the term used at home is new line mm. uh, which has various connotations and has its critics so starting at the sort of the more populist end you've obviously got um, the Crystal Boot Awards which is hosted in England uh, which pulls people from all over the world now that is more ceremonial it's more um, interactive events where you get to meet your favourite choreographers uh, and there you kind of your bill is going to be more like uh, Rhea Voss Maggie Gallagher Rob Fowler and those kind of choreographers um, and as I say you, then you get the whole awards uh, gala night as well so you'll be able to um, witness the award for the intermediate dance of the year and the choreographer of the year and the international instructor of the year and that kind of thing so that is a good entry point for um, seeing what the the more general line dance scene is like across the country in the UK and Europe for that matter so you get a hell of a lot of French dancers there um, and people from across the, the continent that will travel to that event. Uh, a lot of like-minded people who will dance that uh, line dancer top 10 um, or the, the, the cop and up top 10, which if we, you look at, they'll be up doing that. And obviously over the last few years, there's a couple of new people breaking onto the scenes. So you've got Gary O'Reilly, for example, who's instantly become a hit at that kind of event. So that's early in the year in January. Um, at the same time in January, you've got the other extreme. You've got Strictly Line Dance, which is a very old event, uh, approximately 15 years old um, but that's your more hardcore dancing which is an event run by Bossy Boots Promotions um, so that is often that's sold out every year that was the first ever event that Guyton did in the UK and it became Guyton's event obviously he's retired now so um, the event hosts Sue and Ken are having to mix it up a bit you know using for example Scott Simon Rachel that kind of stuff um, but that is your go to hardcore so you've got your two extremes in January alone um, and then obviously there's a new buzz event since around 2012 called Eurodance mm. um, which is kind of adopting the American model in England mm. um, so that whole multi-room, multi-level um, so people have uh, workshops side by side so you're not sitting around if it's something you don't want to do you go and take another class somewhere else um, so that's a huge event approximately 500 people go to that one 
Um, and then of course we have the World Masters in August. Um, so that is the competitive sort of event of the year, um, which has a social element as well. And that's got some of the best dancers there. So you've got the, their own team, the Masters in Line team, which features, for example, Shane McKeever um, and Nicola Lafferty and those kind of um, uh, guys and girls. Um, so that's a couple of sort of more high-profile events, which would, you would call destination events, which would warrant travelling. They're slightly longer events, often four days, and you kind of get to pick up a bit of both uh, West Coast competition, performances, awards, that kind of thing. Um, so that would be sort of like a whistle-stop tour of maybe prioritising a couple of events to do in the UK. Hmm. Are there any that you have yet to see somewhere in the world, like uh, Mayworth in Australia or anything like that? Yeah, so we travel frequently to Scandinavia to, for example, Danish events or Swedish events. Um, we call them adopted Brits. They're always in England three or four times a year as well, so it's only fair that we go over and support their events as well. They're very like-minded for our level in terms of intermediate advanced dances. So their favourite choreographers are our favourite choreographers. We're all doing the same sort of dances. Um, so it's good to support each other. Um, but no, we've not travelled to Australia yet. Uh, we were tempted to do the event this year. Um, but we may go to Mayworth one year, for example. Uh, but at the minute we're still doing American events that we haven't yet done. Um, and we also travel to France as well. There's, there's uh, a good line dance scene in France, uh, quite a young line dance scene as well. Um, so that might be a good case to do, for example, to how are they getting these young people in and these beginner dancers in. It's very fun there, very energetic. The choreographers there themselves are very young in that area. When you think about, for example, uh, Daniel Trappé, and when you think about Jose, they're very young as well and bubbly. Maybe that's one of the reasons why they're pulling them in. Um, so yeah, I guess Australia is the, the next on the list. Are there any internal tricks or anything that you use to help you remember long sequences of steps? Because you, you just, I'm sure, have so much buzzing around in your brain from 20 years of learning. Yeah. Um, if, the instructor if the instructors themselves don't give you sound effects or you know, beatboxing, is there anything yeah. that you do to translate uh, what they're saying into your body? Yeah. Those that uh, know me know that I struggle with which foot the dance starts on. So I would say 80% of the time when I get on the floor, I actually don't know which foot it starts on, and I conveniently and discreetly ask somebody who will advise me, rightly or wrongly. But then once they've told me that, I've got the whole, I've got the whole sequence, it comes back to me. Um, and I think it's one of those that um, I, I, I can literally be sat on the floor uh, and just declare, I can't remember this, and then if I see the first step, I've got it. So there must be some sort of connection between those step patterns. Mm. Um, I mean, a lot of dances, they kind of aren't broken down into eights. They do merge or marry into each other, so that's, that's helpful. Um, but now, as I said, as the advice was earlier, I just get up and after a couple of prompts, I've, you know, I've kind of got it. So, um, But also, what's great now is, for example, at the events, if need be, you can just get on, cop and up on your, your, your tablet or your iPad or your phone and look at the headings rather than the small prints and a couple of looks and you think, oh yeah, I didn't know it, you know. Or sometimes you might say, not, not a chance, that, that one's gone, let's go and get, a, let's go and get some water and, and uh, have a break, you know. Now, as somebody who's done just about everything, uh, instructing, uh, choreography, of course dancing, uh, everything that exists, uh, and even event uh, coordination, is there anything that you feel is your calling or like your special strength that... Uh, that you would do 
disproportionately more than all the others if you could? Or are you just as comfortable in one as another? Yeah, just in the last few hours, it's reaffirmed a couple of people who uh, I haven't necessarily met before who are local to this event or either maybe from Canada, for example, there's a few dancers here, have commented on me being a distinct dancer, doing distinct steps, easy to follow, for example. And uh, when people do take my classes, they often say that I'm easy to follow and I'm thorough, methodical and clear. Um, so I am comfortable, most comfortable instructing and I can judge, for example, the pace at which I need to do the teach. Thankfully at home I've got a class that are very quick at picking up dances compared to what, you know, here you have an error workshop and I can often perhaps pull that down a little bit uh, at home. Um, but yeah, often um, I think I am most comfortable at the instructing, whether it's uh, working at the counts, for example, or using uh, a description or uh, some sort of uh, just witty or joke or something that would then get them to understand what are we doing with this particular body movement or arm movement, that kind of thing. So um, that's probably what I've been um, best at or, or, or most praised for at home. Um, so for example, at events at home, I often teach there, but as a guest instructor, so I'm, I'm occasionally hired just to teach other people's dances mm. because they let the choreographers do the work and write the dances and then they'll then and trust me to pick up a couple of the latest ones and teach them uh, in a way that the, the dancers will be able to pick them up. And that's not a criticism of the choreographers at all, um, but that's just um, something which has happened regularly at home whereby people have said, we enjoy coming to this event because you, you will pick three or four dances of, of uh, a reasonable quality and you'll give them to us in a way that we can understand them and pick them up from you. So, Yeah, it's almost like uh, going to a concert for a cover band where you still enjoy the music. Yeah. It's all the songs that you like, it's just somebody else singing them. Yeah, and um, there's no reason to expect or demand that the choreographers are naturally uh, brilliant, perfect teachers. After all, we want them to write the dances. We would prefer them to have the creative talent and the ability to sort of have those juices going around and get the steps. Uh, and then we'll just look at the, they often say, follow my feet, don't follow what I say. And that's fine because you, if the dance is good, we'll work with you on that. Um, but obviously th there is room in the market for that instructor then to be able to translate particularly really hard dances. Um, so there's a couple going around now. So for example, Filthy of Joey's is a very tricky dance. Uh, we've just learned one here from Ryan Fiona, a new ABC one, which has kind of took 90 minutes and uh, sort of caught everybody off guard at this late stage in the event. Um, but if an instructor can take that and break it down and communicate it in a way to their class that enables them to do it and, um, and, and allow them to retain it, then that's a really positive thing. Especially when they're able to um, give you some kind of emotion to remember that movement by. Yeah. I know Roy does a lot of that with, um, you know, like washing machine yeah. or smell the pizza. You afterwards remember that movement because of how you felt when yeah. you were learning it. Mm -hmm. That's also true. And also it's about um, using references in the room. So, you know, after the tag you face in the windows or the bar or the toilets or whatever, you know. Um, and also in the music, for example, you've got Blaze of Glory. Uh, when that tag's come in, there's a distinct change in the music. So you, I'm saying every week over the microphone, listen to that change in the music. That's your tag signal. It's coming. You've got 32 counts to prepare for the tag. So it's giving them as much prompts as they can to, to pick that up in advance and then hopefully do it on their own in a few weeks' time. 
Do you have questions yourself, Meg? Um, I'll pass the mic over to you. Not really. He's actually answered a lot of what I would have asked to begin with, mostly the, the differences between U.S. and U.K. and stuff like that. Um, I'm trying to think. Just on that as well, there's a huge difference in terms of how the format works, and it always catches by surprises here. The huge emphasis on daytime dancing in the U.S. Mm. Early, early workshop starts, 9 a.m., 10 a.m., for example, uh, are less common at home and then also people prioritise the social dance at night at home um, so people will often stroll down at 9pm for example ready to do the whole dancing through till 3 or 4 in the morning and here it's, it's just interesting to see that people come for the day they're there for the day quickly in the break, watch the shows watch the demos, say hello to the friends and then 10pm they're kind of because they've been dancing all day. It's not that they haven't danced, because they've been dancing back-to-back workshops one after the other. That's their time. They're, they've, they've had, they're, they're content, they're happy, that's fine, but it's very different to at home. It's all about the evening dance at home at the events. Yeah, it really sounds like we need to get over to the UK. <laughs> I, think we, I agree. Yeah, I think that's where we uh, need to spend some time. Um, <laughs> I guess uh, one of the things I wanted to ask was, um, what are some of the events you've been to in the States mm-hmm. Because um, I know you said fits, and obviously yeah. here, yeah. but what other events have you been to? So we particularly like um, the experience, which obviously moves around the country, um, because that is um, a very English-style event. Um, so it's just a little bit more of uh, home comforts for us. It's one room, for example, um, so we haven't got that contemplation of which room do we need to be in. Um, also, the event organisers, Sandy and Diana, often bring over Big Dave, um, who obviously we know very well, um, and he would um, sort of be able to give us that request-based playlist that we, we kind of work on at home rather than what is perceived to be, I don't know whether it is, perceived to be like a slightly preset playlist at some of the American events. They know what's popular and they kind of have a little bit of an idea what they're doing for a few hours and you work around that. Um, so we like that, so we'll be going again to the experience next year in, in Nashville. Uh, one of our favourite events is Windy City as well, partly for the place as well. We, we enjoy taking a few days on and doing some sightseeing, but also the dances, the, the dances in that area on the on the, on that on that side of the coast, um, often um, learn at similar dances and enjoy similar dances. So there's always a good line up there as well. Um, so I would go with uh, sort of a par, a joint between that, the experience and Windy City. I would is if I go home to the UK and someone for the first time is ready for that US trip, they'll be the two I'll kind of direct them in. There's still events I haven't done, so I haven't done Vegas, which obviously is a huge event, which you need a lot of stamina for. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so that could be on the cards in the next few years. Now you mentioned uh, with Eurodance that it was sort of an American style with the mm-hmm. multiple rooms, and we're just kind of used to that because yeah. we don't we, we haven't seen all the changes over time so uh, having been involved in this for 20 years what changes have you noticed that you like like you know changing formats or you know, things like DJ feed we're using yeah. here we don't use that uh, mm-hmm. that often here at US events yeah. but we're starting to see things like that and nextlinedance.com for you know, requests and keeping up with what's in the rooms is there anything that you've seen that you hope really catches on everywhere and what would you like to see that maybe isn't uh, happening quite yet yeah so a few ex- a few examples <coughs> at home uh, particularly bossy boots promotions and other events uh, they work 
tirelessly in the week before the event, uh, the event to apply pressure on the choreographers to let them know what are they teaching, have the music, have the step sheets, which enables them to produce a USB stick. So that means at the point of arrival at the event, you get a USB, which has got all the tracks on, all the step sheets on, you know, give or take a few, which is still being polished, um, which means that you can plug that straight in your laptop and it's all there. Whereas before, you may have got a step sheet booklet, but then you've got to go home, you've got to get the music, obtain it, for example. So that just being able to arrive and have a USB, sort of an all-encompassing USB, which gives you all the media and the steps, I, I really particularly like that. Um, a talking point this weekend and over previous weekends has always been this um, dilemma about uh, reviews in the evening. Mm. Is the evening the appropriate time or not uh, to have reviews? Uh, and that comes down to a couple of factors. Um, are those people in the room, if they're not able to retain the dance, are they going to get up and have a go, or is it just a waste of time putting the music on if no one's going to get up? So it's kind of that balance, and every event organiser's got to make that conscious balance. You know, in that, what is a prime time, 9 till 10.30, let's say, on the night, are we going to use that time for open dance, or are we going to use that time to rerun through the dances of the day? Uh, and I'm kind of leaning towards the first option, which is preserve that time for the open dance um, mainly because it, the atmosphere around open dance is more relaxed and fun whereas you kind of have to everyone has to um, uh, be quiet through the for the, the teachers or leave the room um, and, and you kind of lose that atmosphere um, so I'm going for USB sticks pure open dance in the evenings the brilliant stuff about the American events as well is the iced water everywhere which sometimes at home isn't available um, so it's little things here that will probably seem perfectly uh, trivial uh, would be welcome at home um, if, if that was always available so I'll go with those three and is there anything uh, I know Julie mentioned something about crumpets is there anything from over there that you wish was more common here that would make things feel a little more at home okay so at home we always have midnight pizza parties which Ooh. is included in the price of the event pass so uh, without fail at midnight the pizzas will arrive and you get a couple of slices some much needed carbs to keep you going um, I think the shots are more common at home than here perhaps um, I, I'm going to pull the Europeans in on this because they're renowned for it so we have Blar from yeah. Denmark oh. in abundance and they just walk around the room offering it around so I think we have more shots at home um, so I think that's about it. At home as well, we often have a little a little pad with some talc on, which is often quite nice to put on your feet for turny dances and that, which I've never seen here. Um, but that's the floors are generally because they're purpose put down floors here. Uh, they're usually pretty reliable. Whereas at home, if it's a permanent floor, it may it not be. Wear, yeah, yeah. You, you can wear. It depends what other functions have been there. Um, so, but. Shots, kind of, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because at the time you like them, mm. but later in the night and the next morning, they were, maybe weren't such a good decision. But uh, Is late-night hot tub actually common there, or is it just uh, sort no, of a um, <laughs> We don't actually have any events, to my knowledge, that actually have hot tubs. Um, so that is a new thing. Oh. Yeah. Um, it's very nice on the feet. It's the very nice, yeah. So we, we jumped in at half five this morning after the dancing um, and it was very therapeutic um, so that would be welcome at home but we here you've got uh, the events are at these sort of conference function huge purpose built airport hotels 
whereas at home they're often at town or city centre hotels um, which have like big restaurants and that kind of thing but no, no pool facilities or gym facilities it's just rooms and a ballroom and that's kind of what we have Megan do you have any additional questions before I get to my last one and a half or so now, you did say that you have other hobbies at home as well. What are some of the things that you like to do on your non-dancing time? Yeah, so I have a season ticket for my local football team, which I've had for as many years as I've danced. Um, so that's West Bromwich Albion, um, which I is a nice hobby because I do that with my family. Um, so my parents, my cousin, I used to go with my brother before he moved away. Um, so we're very passionate about that. Um, and also a bit like here which is why I enjoy coming to the States with all the breweries uh, we have Real Ale at home uh, and I'm very involved with a local um, campaign group around Real Ale um, so these are very sort of hobbies which you wouldn't necessarily correlate together Yeah. Um, but also a lot of fitness as well so I do a lot of cycling at home that kind of thing so a whole, a whole mixture mm. oh um, one sort of side question your shoes. What what kind of dance shoes do you wear? They look very slick. Yeah, well, it depends on uh, whether I'm wearing black, white, whatever. So mm. often a jazz shoe, usually, mm. is, um, particularly a comfortable like a slipstream, is 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 the brand of shoe. Um, so I've got black, white. I've also got this glittery, sparkly pair, which come out occasionally if I'm feeling particularly. Uh, flashy. In, yeah, flashy. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> so they haven't come out this weekend, but they were here. Um, and of course the instruments mm. the instruments are our, our best bit so if we, if we don't know the dance and it's a good rhythm then the big bag of instruments there's everything in there comes out and that's how we, that's how we pass the time what were some of the ones in there because I saw a tambourine yeah tambourine um, triangle mm-hmm. um, another little drum um, whilst it's cymbals got some cymbals in there as well so there's a couple of tracks that we don't know, uh, Oh Mama Hey, which mm. is the, I think it's the Guyton and Joe dance. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, perfect for musical instruments, that rhythm. Skiffle time, even better. Mm-hmm. So it worries me a little bit that we enjoy the instruments more than da- the dancing, and we wouldn't want that to get in the way, but um, it has. this weekend it's been received really well, uh, but we actually got told off last weekend at Fun in the Sun oh, by, no. by a dancer. Yeah, Yikes. who will go unnamed? Mm-hmm. Mainly because I don't know her name. Oh. But she, uh, <laughs> but yeah, she she came over at, uh, questioning why we were playing instruments at dancing, which she found a little off-putting. So mm. that was unfortunate. But we'll keep it to the fun dances that hopefully everyone knows. Mm-hmm. If you had a message that you could send out to all line dancers everywhere, like almost like a virtual billboard, so that they're driving by, they see that. And they think about that all the way home. What would you want the line dance community to think about or maybe consider doing or changing? Yeah. For me, it's about being more open-minded. And that goes across the level. Um, So I would put that message out to mainstream, what we call mainstream dancers as well. Don't limit yourself. Don't set yourself a ceiling that doesn't need to be there. Don't dismiss other stars just because you don't know the dances. Watch them, dance them, feel them, watch the YouTube, explore Look at other choreographers' dances that you don't do. Think about whether you think that style of choreographer's dance is something that you might enjoy. So, for example, uh, D Musk writes lovely nightclub two steps. Uh, Niels writes lovely rolling count dances. If these are things you haven't done, watch them because they're really good ex- exemplary uh, choreography of those styles. Um, and it also works for new line dancers as well. Go along to mainstream events and support th- those as well. 
um, and, and pick up some of those crossover dances. Um, so we talk about stuff from like Rhea Voss, for example, or Gary O'Reilly that sort of unites the floor, that kind of thing. And then also carry that into the events you go to. Don't just uh, lock yourself into that one local area over 10 miles. Set yourself an artificial radius of 10 miles. If you need to have an over- overnight stay somewhere, book a hotel, go shopping the next day, but get to that event, see a new instructor, see new dancers, see what music they're using for the old classics. Um, and it's just even then beyond that, if you, can, if you can go abroad as well, even better. But there's just um, there's too much closed-mindedness um, and narrow-mindedness in, in the scene about people... Uh, even in the events, you know, people will sit in the corner, uh, people have their routines, who they talk to, and I just think if everybody um, was a little bit more um, open and ex- to expose themselves to new experiences and new dances and that kind of thing, then then all the better. If you go to an event, look at the workshop schedule, and if there's someone there you've not learned the dance from, take their workshop. You might learn a, a, good, a good technique from them, how they call the dances, how they break the dances down, that kind of thing. Um, and then I think we'll all be better off through sort of having as much experience as we can and talking to as much people as we can. One question before I get to my tiny little last <laughs> blip of a question. Uh, in addition to, say, like Simon Says or Oops Upside Your Head, are there other kind of equalizing dance experiences that you're familiar with that get everybody out there and mingling? Yeah, so at home it's the sway, which I know is done here as well, the partner dance around mm. the outside of the floor. Um, that makes a, that makes an appearance at some point during the event, hmm. uh, and everybody will get up. Sometimes it's done a bit more spontaneously. So if there's a track on with just a few dancers on the floor, somebody will start the sway. Is it, is it a dance you're familiar I with? I do yeah. not know what that so is. So it's just a 16 count partner dance, which is done uh, uh, anti-clockwise around the floor, um, and uh, that kind of gets everybody up. Usually later in the night uh, at, at home. Um, but otherwise, it's just the classic dances. We don't particularly have... I mean, no here, um, we've had tutti tar and sort of things like that that other people... Have you never done... I don't that's know That's definitely that something to go and watch then. <laughs> uh, I think Joey was the one that, that kind of led that one here. How do you, how do you spell that? Tutti tar. Tutti tar. Uh, don't, don't quote me on the spelling, but I'm ah. sure it'll come up as on Google. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that'll be one that you'll, you'll enjoy. Um, what was the thing with the toes? The side toe touches? Going oh, okay. So we do Monterate. Okay. Uh, okay. It's called Monterate. So you do eight Monterate turns round to the right, and then finish with a touch, and then do eight Monterate turns round to the left. And you can do it as mundane as you want, or you can... I think it gets everybody up within seconds, literally. We did it last weekend to something, and we did it here. And everyone gets up, and they'll put... They'll funk it up, or they start using their arms. Somebody last night was doing chicken wings with their arms, so it's kind of that. But it's just, if there's a track and people just want to get up and, and, and not be sat down, then it's a dance you don't need to know. Although the reverse back round to the left often catches people out first time, and then they'll pick it up. So, Monterey, one to watch out for. <laughs> <laughs> See, these are things that we wouldn't know about unless we yeah. showed up to events, because you don't hear about them. Yeah. yeah. Huh. All right, well, one last tiny little question, unless Easiest Megan has Easiest question he's ever going to ask you, I promise. Mm-hmm. I don't promise. <laughs> Out of 20 years of dancing, having seen as many dances as you have, if there is a single dance that you could recommend to everyone that they learn so that they become taller, faster, stronger, more charismatic, <laughs> happier, what dance would you recommend that everyone learn? Well, my all-time favourite dance, I think I, I brought this up earlier, is No Regrets uh, from Scott. 
And that dance would be recommended because it manages to show that a, a 32 count dance with enough intelligence and unique steps can carry itself with longevity through a, a choreographer's career. That is a useful one because it introduces you to different rhythms in the track. There's some very unusual syncopations in the track and also diagonals mm. and uh, it's very directional from diagonals um, so it helps you with your clock references. It's a very uh, beaty track which you can really express yourself to. Um, so that's my all-time uh, number one. Uh, but obviously that's more of a funky number which um, people may not necessarily um, enjoy that style of dance. Um, mainstream I've always liked, uh, I'm not sure how popular it's over here, but a mainstream dance at home which introduces people to phrasing, uh, restarts, um, what is shack attack. Mm. Uh, it's very popular at home, that's stood the test of time at home. And that's uh, an example of probably a, a more mainstream dance which I think everyone ought to have in their uh, armoury for when it comes on at an event. So those are going to be my two. Okay. Yeah, we've heard a lot of Have Fun Go Mad. I, yeah. you, I have not, uh, until today, heard No Regrets as their choice. Yeah. Mm. Well, often there's a, uh, probably a, a distinction between someone's number one personal favourite and mm. what they might regard. I mean, clearly, a dance like Have Fun Go Mad has such uh, flexibility to be done. Um, and there's nothing better as a showcase for line dance. Mm. Um, if somebody was to come from the outside looking in at if, for example, in a few weeks' time we'll be at World Masters in Blackpool, that'll be played endless times. Mm. But each time there'll be somebody else on the floor doing their own thing, doing their own spin on it, having their own fun, raising the energy levels. And that is a sort of event that if, you know, if your family came along with you to the event and what it was all about, they would be wowed by that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's dances like that, SXC, mm. uh, Stop It, that are all kind of fun dances which you can add your own twist on. The Beast. The Beast, absolutely, exactly. Mm. So. Yeah, you know, uh, one that we just learned recently that I'm glad that we did was uh, Feed the Fetish. Yeah. Because that can also go to different songs and is yeah. 32 clever counts. That was a dance that kind of re-established Scott at home across the board, across the mainstream, um, because his back catalogue he's done, so Drive Me Wild, mm. Kegels and Switches, um, but then he's very much picked up by the more intermediate advanced scene now. But Feed the Fetish was one which broke through. So if you went to the Crystal Boot Awards, there would have been a full floor there. Or if you went to Strictly the week after, there would have been a full floor there. And again, 32 counts. Uh, Janet Jackson is the, mm-hmm. the artist. And just the opportunity to funk it up, uh, spin it up. Um, so that kind of is similar to Have Fun Go Mad in that, in that respect. Hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting line dance with us here today at Northwest Line Dance Blast in Portland, Oregon. Thank you for asking me some very interesting questions. (laughs) I hope hope it was an interesting response. Oh, definitely. Well, (laughs) until next time, uh, Megan and I will see See you you on on the the dance dance floor. floor.